did was not only extremely clever and humorous, it was aerodynamically sound. What you did was witchcraft, premeditated and uncalled for. witchcraft for your sake. Hi, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the IMMP podcast, the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And we turned to television uh, this week. Because uh, there's a TV series that's extremely popular, and it involves a witch attempting to create a typical, normal, suburban life. It, it, it feels so familiar. It, it feels timeless. Like, it goes throughout all of these different eras and <laughs> such. And there's this... It, I mean, how can you not know about this thing going on right now? It, it's part of pop culture in general. No question about it. And it lasted for eight seasons... Starting in the early 1960s, we're talking about Bewitched. Cue the animated title sequence <laughs> that is kind of just that. Why does that seem to have like burn itself into pop culture memory the fastest of all the parts of this? That is a great title sequence. A wonderful little cartoon, terrific music. I really like the opening for Bewitched. Oh, yeah. There's a reason why that stays absolutely consistent. And we're joking, but there's no question that this was a major influence on WandaVision. Oh, yeah. this No one could have made the pitch meeting for WandaVision happen if Bewitched hadn't already set the stage. Because we've been watching WandaVision, I thought about a few different... 50s and 60s sitcoms we might go back to, things that I saw in reruns when I was young. But in the end, I decided, you know, we really, we will get to the others, but we had to talk about Bewitched this time around. And I knew that this was going to happen and tried to brace myself the best I could for the fact that anyone who's listened to the podcast before, although if this is your first episode, hi, welcome. welcome. Uh, but I, I cringe into a ball during most sitcoms. <laughs> I, I appreciate the format. I find the scenarios and the setup fun and funny, but actually sitting through an episode is just like how to compact an Ian. I I <laughs> I have this sympathetic nervous reaction about the scenarios that happen, and I will just disappear into a couch and a bundle of blankets in pure existential terror. You literally did watch some of this uh, show through the holes in an Afghan. Absolutely. I, I, I can't make it through. Although I'm, I'm amazed because this show actually tapers off for me. How so? The early seasons are the roughest. When they're initially setting up this uh, scenario, we've got our, our main cast. And I kind of think of this show in a trio sense because of the way it plays out. Yeah. It's very much the way they set it up. You have Darren, the mortal uh, advertising representative, who and his new wife, Samantha, who is a witch. And it's them trying to leave, lead a normal life, although Samantha having some trouble means that she sometimes leans back on her magic again. And then 
Samantha's mother and Dora pops up a lot to kind of cause trouble and ask, why are you going through this farce? But in setting that up, they do a lot of just like you can see it coming from a mile away. Cringy, awkward for me. So much of it is that that classic sitcom trope of if somebody just told the truth for 20 seconds, the story would go away and because the conflict would go away and they wouldn't have to spend 25 minutes figuring this out just to get around to that point. Exactly. But once this show goes on for longer and starts getting things like a bigger budget and some better prop tech in some ways, a lot more green screen and the like, it just becomes goofier in a way that avoids that same kind of cringe because the story has something different to it. Yeah, without wanting to get too far ahead of ourselves, it starts out as a grown-up humor and, I think, to some extent, social commentary sitcom. And in the later seasons, it becomes more of a light family fantasy sitcom. And it can actually do each of those well, but uh, but it's kind of jarring if you jump ahead the way we did to to see later seasons. But I thought it was important for you to see what happened to the show later, so I wanted to make sure that I showed you at least an episode or two of those later seasons. Oh, and I, I'm absolutely, I'm actually still kind of bewildered that something can leave this, there's like a a social version of the uncanny valley that it was able to leave for me where like the situations are just too close for me to be actually relating to the people (laughs) in them in a way that is detrimental to myself but once it gets like far enough away from possible i'm just like oh yeah this is this is kooky and i'm fine you gave a a good uh, description of the setup uh, early on and that we've got these three main characters and To some extent, structurally, this could have worked as a radio show the first few seasons, because it's mostly these three characters, any combination of of two or three characters talking to one another, something magical happens and another will remark on it in a way that would have been a fine description for radio. Yeah, you'd you'd wear out a slide whistle and a a bell (laughs) kit just making magical sound effects in the background, but yeah, you could do the show as a radio play with that in there. But I think it's important to to make note of the lore, to use the terminology I was using last week, uh, episode for Highlander, the lore about witches and such. Witches in this world, in this, in this uh, setup, they are different from humans. They characterize that there are mortals, like Darren, who's the husband in this scenario, and there are witches who are not mortals, who are like... Um, Samantha, his wife, and Andorra, her mother. And witches live for hundreds of years, at least. So there's also a reason why I picked this to watch after Highlander. Okay, thank you, because I'm just here imagining uh, the mother Andorra just, like, teleporting to the Highlands of Scotland and pulling out a broadsword and absolutely being okay to, like, kick the Kirkin's butt across the field for a little while and then pop back over for our martini because there's something about this, you know, the the repetition of mortal over and over in this show instantly implies the counterpart. And I'm like, okay, 
for the the 30 some odd time uh while recording one of these podcasts i'm making a note check archive of our own for crossover <laughs> fan fiction yes it's gotta be out there bewitched and highlander it has got to be, might be out better there. than some of the Highlander sequel movies. It's I'm just terrified be. that all you're going to find is very sad stories about the fact that Samantha's going to outlive Darren by yeah. so long. Yep. That's just like, oh, wow, I found the angst in the middle of this bright and happy <laughs> show. That's a problem. But in the show, what they really play that for are the tensions of what they describe in the show as a mixed marriage. Yeah. And samantha's family not accepting darren why would she a beautiful talented witch marry a mortal well she married him because they are very much in love and that's one of the things that makes this series work is the fact that the characters of darren and samantha are so in love and do work together as partners so well you can't imagine them not toughing out any problems that either of their families might throw up they are on a wavelength with each other enough of a, enough times for you to really understand it. And that's one of those things. Darren makes, <sighs> Darren makes a big show about how he, they want a normal life. And that means not using magic, not using magic, what she is, the power she has and what she's been raised to do. And I got to say, there's times when he gets like harsh about that in a way that is very disturbing i admit but i also looked at i also took a step back and looked at his job he's in advertising this creative field i looked at the way some of the other characters interact with him before the weirdness of his family starts showing up the way his boss treats him on a normal day and such and i started realizing darren is weird he is darren is a weird guy in the normal world and that means that he actually fits in with the weird magic people who are a little outside of the box better than other mortals might. And Samantha is fascinated not about just having something, but what that means you can do. She's interested in kind of the the method and the the systems. She's she's delighted by an oven because of its features. And that shows like a breakdown of the, oh, how does this work? You don't see the other magic people using. She kind of fits in with a technological, we're going to figure out how to make something happen by our own two hands, not just a wiggle of our, of our fingers. She fits in with the mortals a little better. And so the two of them are their own kind of weird within their circles. And that means that they can relate to each other very well in that sense. Those are great points. It it really is that uh, he is weird enough that he can be more accepting of the reality of witches and magic and all these things than most people would be. He's got opinions about whether the way he wants them in his life or not. But he can roll with these magical beings that he winds up uh, um, meeting and dealing with them, even though they are more powerful than he is, he still has a certain strength of will. If you want to see an episode that actually best explains Darren as a character overall, it's the very, very wild episode where Samantha enchants the house to magically listen to Darren's commands, where she gives him magic, and we see him go zero to 60 because he actually acclimates 
so well to it that at the end of the episode, Darren asks for a mind wipe and a time reset to undo <laughs> how far he went. He treats it a little like a guy with an addictive personality who's given an opportunity to go do the thing he knows he shouldn't. He, he, he gets into it too much in a weird way there. And that's an important episode because it really does explain and to some extent rehabilitate for me that conflict that we see early in that first season about is magic going to be part of their lives? Should Samantha be using magic in, in uh, her daily life? And at first, it seems very much as if, yes, he's in love with her, but he doesn't want her to be what she is. Yeah. She, she has to not be a witch in order to share this life with him. And that seemed weird and oppressive to me. And yet that episode in which he gets a taste of what it's like to have magic, it goes overboard, and the resolution they come to is it's, it's not about whether or not you have the power to do these things. It's about what they can do together and what they can build together. Using magic isn't really something they can do together. Buying a home, raising a family, providing for themselves and one another, those are things they can do together. And it really shows that the reason for making decisions about whether and when to use magic are about that partnership. And I liked that. Yeah. And in some ways, the fact that we see Samantha leaning in to try to do these things with a delight to it also helps on that aspect because it's not just him wanting to, it to be this thing together. Samantha will walk through the house they're buying with her mom. And they'll use magic to, you know, oh, we'll put the dining room table here and it pops up into view and we'll put this type of chair and couch here. And using magic to do all this kind of setup and layout. But then at the end of it, wipes it all away, much to the surprise of her mother, and says this smile how and we're going to go buy all of those things. (laughs) And there's this this like, I can just have it now, but it's not worth anything to me then. I'm, I, I've got no memories about finding it. I've got no struggle to obtain it. There is a value to it being there. And I like that. Because it, that's without Darren even being there. That's her wanting to follow through on that mentality. And that helped me a lot understand why she was going along with it as well. Yeah, it does become clear that it's not just... This is what Darren wants, so she's acquiescing. It's it's a it's a decision that they've made together. Also, the scene of her and her mother going through and magicking the house to how it's going to look in the end is the best introduction to the neighbor Gladys. Oh there, yes, who I honestly think is a great character on this <laughs> because there's something about this like I almost feel like there was like you could have explained Gladys as having like. One sixteenth wizard or witch or warlock or witch somewhere, because everyone else just doesn't notice the magic. And here's Gladys somehow always seeing it and losing her mind over it. Just like I watched all that happen and trying, to, she's this impetus for an entire other set of problems that happens. Just because she's the only person observant enough in the neighborhood to know something's gone. Weird. And Gladys and her husband, they are kind of their own little Borscht Belt comedy routine that we cut to every once in a while, because he's always got these really funny lines about the fact that she's seeing things. 
and she's trying to convince him. Now she really did see new you know, gladiolas show up in the flower bed out of nowhere. They leaned on that a lot in the earlier seasons, but I take it that they don't do as much later for multiple reasons. You know, Gladys does per, uh, continue, and in fact, the uh, a new um, uh, actor takes over the role uh, at some point when the uh, woman who had been playing Gladys uh, passed, passed away during production. Oh. But you're right, it, it is not as big a role as it is in that first uh, season, just because they... As they develop the the stories, as more characters uh, from the magical world show up, uh, there's just less need to cut away to the the uh, the Gladys jokes. And they do have a larger cast of magical characters that roll in a a retinue of family members and other magically important people who will pop in and each have their own distinct take on the magic they're doing in order to facilitate different kinds of comedy scenarios. Because both Samantha and her mother can kind of just do their little motion and something happens, be it either wrist, like little wrist twirls from Endora the mom, or the iconic nose wiggle from Samantha. (laughs) But you get other characters like the dad. Yes. And I don't know if we mentioned, did we mention who's playing the main characters? Uh, Elizabeth Montgomery oh, yeah. as Samantha, and uh, Dick York as Darren, and Agnes Moorhead as Endora, Samantha's oh. mother. And she brings such both a weight and a really sharp sense of humor to that character. Oh, she brings so much. Also, I never realized how much Dick York looked like Toby Maguire until I saw both of them playing disheveled at one point. Wait a minute. God, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, they yeah. do. When, when, when you get Dick York looking absolutely exasperated with his hair a mess, my goodness, it's the exact same look. <laughs> and actually, that could kind of fit now. We'll use that later. You are right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Although Dick York doesn't stick around for all of it. No, that is true. That's another reason why you needed to see... Uh, uh, an, a, an episode from season six. They change out the actor. Who's the Who's the guy who plays from season six, seven, and eight? Not Dick York, but Dick Sargent. Dick Sargent. Sadly, Dick, same name. <laughs> same, same name. Oh boy. And Dick York had uh, had injured his back years earlier in the making of a movie, and that injury got progressively worse and more painful and i gather it was actually impacting the production of some of the seasons that he was in but he decided it, he just couldn't continue doing a a tv series under those conditions so they uh they cast dick Sargent to take over that role with no explanation ever yeah. <laughs> as to the fact that darren looks different or um or any change had happened which i think is good if of all the shows out there that could have had some explanation as to why Darren suddenly looks and sounds different, this one could have come up with something magic. And yet, I think that would have been a little bit of an insult to both of the actors. Yeah. Darren's jaw has always been this sharp. We're just going to <laughs> roll with it. That's all we're going to... like. They don't even reference it. And that's really positive, in fact, because... Yeah, if they tried to use the magic to explain it, then... You wouldn't be able to trust anything in the world in a weird way. I mean, there are plenty of other times when magic is used to change Darren. He's changed into a uh, 
He's made to disappear. He's changed into a chimpanzee, yeah. all these things. He, he is pulled back from oblivion. There's a lot of acting by Dick York, which is just... Dick York suddenly is on set and has to look like he's been through something bizarre and horrible. Oh, yeah. He's just been immolated or turned into a chimpanzee and back or teleported somewhere horrible and brought back. Smacked him around as a newspaper and thrown onto the fire. (laughs) Oh, wow. You almost burned a guy alive. And Dick York can play that extremely well. He can play that so well. And we were talking about Darren having a certain... um, uh, a certain force of will to deal with all of this, which is true. Dick's um, Dick Sargent had he could be menacing in a way that Dick York couldn't. Yeah, Dick York, like Dick York says, uh, "If I see that guy again, I'm gonna bop him in the nose." And you're like, "Okay, he's a little angry." Dick Sargent says that you're absolutely certain a fistfight's about to break out. I don't know what's happening. Why don't you take your ball and bat and go do whatever it is you do with him? Hmm? It's not a bat, it's a club. And if I did with it what I wanted to do with it... (laughs) There's just, like, something about the intent in the vocals. It's like, oh, wow, I'm actually scared of you. Yeah, so there are definitely uh, differences in the character just because of the different performances and portrayals. But by that time, the formula is very well set. We're not in a situation where there's quite as much resistance from Samantha's family to the fact that she's got this mortal husband. By that time, he's been through, he's theoretically been through five seasons of hijinks, and you're starting to wonder if it's wearing down on him. The magic in this show is also an interesting thing. It's got this weird, like, there's times when it absolutely has no cares for the physical laws of reality, and there's other times where, for the sake of writing, it will be so constrained by it that it, it, that it scratches that, like, tactile system itch that i get well let's think for a moment we can break this down what actual abilities do we see witches have and warlocks male witches are called warlocks here they they have the ability to teleport yes they can teleport themselves they don't ride brooms they just teleport themselves wherever in the world they want they can be in paris for uh for lunch and whenever they decide to, they show up in New York for uh, the rest of the day. And uh, transposition also works for them being able to pull objects out of the air. But that usually requires specificity or pre-existence. Well, that's the thing. Before we leave teleporting, we do know that they can move other people from one place to another as well. Yes. But when it comes to making things appear that we haven't seen before, that to me is a question. Are they teleporting them from somewhere else? Is she, when, when, when Samantha is furnishing the house, like you described earlier, is she taking these things from a furniture showroom somewhere or I'm, a factory or are they coming from a parallel dimension or what is happening there? I'm assuming she's making someone's day at the furniture warehouse very confusing because, and this is a welcome audience to, let's get into the weeds on the technical of this, because it's something I do. In the episode where her dad arrived, he attempts to make a bottle of champagne appear. He fails to do so and says, well, there's only about six of them left in the world. Later, it's revealed 
that Darren had one in the house for them at the time, which implies that he wasn't A, just conjuring it out of nothing, and B, he needed to know where one was to be able to pull it to where he was. Because if he knew it was in the house, he would have just made it appear there. He wasn't just make one of these appear. He was, bring me that bottle. So Samantha really did have to have gone furniture shopping to know what pieces she wanted and where they were in order to make them appear temporarily, as it turned out, in her home. Yeah. But does that mean that they're just stealing from somewhere else in the world when they make a drink appear and they drink it or they they, they conjure something else? I'm not sure. Um, this is for all of my fellow uh, Roger Zelazny Amber Chronicles fans out there. Samantha and her fellow witches have Logros powers. I don't know how to, if I'm pronouncing that right. They're able to reach Logros tentacles out into the multiverse and pull back whatever they need. That's how it always seemed to me, or that's how it seemed to me once I read the second series of Amber books, having watched a lot of Bewitched on reruns when I was a kid. Oh, Samantha and her mom, they had Logros powers. I've got to read those books. <laughs> yes, you do. Oh, goodness. So they can teleport themselves, teleport other things. They can conjure things, which might involve pulling them from another place, because you've got a, a great argument about that. They can also transfigure things, transmogrify things. They can turn They can turn Darren into a, uh, a chimpanzee, for example. Absolutely. And what I think is one of the most interesting things they can imbue low-level programming into a physical object in order to make sure that it routine, that it performs a routine of other magic actions, such as tell a banana to move to user. In the one time we see, in the time we see this happen, you can command simple objects with simple commands, and they will perform tasks akin to what we've seen other magic people do. But the banana doesn't go to Darren, it defaults to Samantha the caster, because it got confused and used default settings, and she has to correct it, and then it goes to Darren. So you can do embedded macros in physical objects? They macro physical objects, (laughs) and I was like, oh goodness, they're programming, and I love it. That's great, I like that. Because it explains a lot of the other weird stuff that they do sometimes, where it'll be like, tell a thing to do a thing. And then it'll do with the little animations, but the animations are half of the same stuff we'll see them move their hand and do anyway, because they've only got a limited amount of special effects. But it implies that they're imbuing things with the programming, and I love it. And that works with other things we see, like, was it Aunt Clara? Samantha's aunt, who's getting on in years and is a little confused, and her magic tends to go wrong. She's trying to change Darren's hat to be the appropriate size, and that's why she inadvertently turns him into a chimpanzee. So A, she she gets the commands wrong, and something happens, it's just not what you want it to happen. But also, B, other witches or warlocks cannot undo that spell. A, A witch or a warlock cannot undo a spell cast by another, unless they have the exact details of what incantation it was and what words were used, etc., yeah. So it's like, you know, I need to I need to have the appropriate permissions and I need to know exactly what lines of code are messing up here. I need uh, it's going to take me forever if I don't get more debugging info. Can you imagine the spaghetti code that witches and warlocks are doing <laughs> as they live edit reality? 
<laughs> no, duh, no one else can figure this out. No one uses brackets that way except for you. <laughs> this is what goes through my head to try to explain things. I, anyone who's listened to the show, they, I, I try to explain things in shows all the time. I'm a, a headcanon creation machine, but I, I kept going... Oh, wait, that explains this, too, about this show, and I got excited in a way I shouldn't have. Yeah, this is a more coherent magic system than I really expected it to be. Oh, and, and in terms of trans uh, transmogrifying things, um, it's not limited to sentient objects. They turned Darren into a newspaper at some point. Yeah, although he apparently maintains some form of uh, cognitive perception of reality during that time, which is terrifying in its own right. Yeah. He was aware of being a newspaper and getting smacked around and thrown into a fire, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, goodness, you you get one of these people mad, and you are an inanimate object that does not decay. <laughs> you you become like a rust-proof gold oh bar, and you sit for eternity and think about what you did. And I'm like, oh, oh wow, wow, I found the dark again. Yeah. I keep doing this. <laughs> Why do I keep finding the existential terror in Bewitched? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> but then on the lighter side, there are witches or warlocks like um, Uncle Arthur, oh. play, played by Paul Lind. And Uncle Arthur is Samantha's uncle, and he's a practical joker. Talk about the instant way to make a a sitcom of a, where things going wrong makes me cringe. And double down <laughs> on it is let's do a practical joker who isn't just not telling people the truth, but is actively telling them the not truth. Oh yes, he 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 tells Darren that he can. I can teach you some magic so you can get even with Andorra, uh, and. He just leads Darren through this weird dance and mumbo jumbo uh, and ringing cowbells and blowing duck calls. And it's all just to embarrass Darren because, of course, mortals can't learn magic. Although in that episode is another fine example of uh, Samantha and Darren just being on a wavelength because the like, oh, no, no, we're going to just double down on what he says and then make him think it worked. <laughs> that was is great. such a ending. great solution. And the fact that the two of them like get this almost identically perfect, like, oh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> Look, as they start to discuss this is very great. That's like, okay, we can do this to this guy. They are a great team. But there's... <sighs> I mean, oh, there's so much to talk about this. The other magical effect we see is just her dad's ability, Samantha's father's ability to point at things and make them explode. Now, that can just be, I'm going to teleport all the pieces of this vase three inches in opposite directions. <laughs> that could be as simple as that. Or he could just be teleporting enough red phosphorus to wherever he's pointing okay. and make things work that way. That's true. A bit more classic stage magic. Boom. But still... Uh, <laughs> The fact that that is considered a flair for the uh, for the dramatic in wizard circles in, in warlock circles is appreciated though. It's like, oh yeah, he likes making things explode. It's it's cheesy, we know, even for us. It's like, oh thank you. Our societies are not too far off in some ways. And for the teleportation, they have a sound effect. It's not quite the ringing whistling ping from Lost in Space. It's, it's in the close. same family, but they have their own. It's close enough. Yeah. I think the ringing, whistling ping sounds a little too technological. But they also have the little, like, very tiny bell 
that they ring for various things. If you see someone like make a subtle gesture, you always get the ding. <laughs> and then and then magic happens. And Samantha, if she's doing magic, it's always by uh, occasionally magic has to be done with verbal incantations. Yeah. But uh, more often than not, if Samantha needs to do magic, she just needs to wiggle her nose. They had to find if they for some reason had to find some way to make Elizabeth Montgomery cuter. We get to see her wiggle her nose. I, in some ways, the best way they deal with that, in my opinion, is the fact that after is it just after season one or is it later that their daughter sh- uh, joins the picture? Um, it's in season two. It's in season two. Yeah. Beginning of season two, we find out that Samantha's expecting and they have a little baby girl named Tabitha later on in that season. But Tabitha theoretically uses the same technique to do magic, but since she can't wiggle her nose directly, she wiggles it with her finger, which is (laughs) just like, it's another level of adorable. And it's also the initial setup is one thing. But then they add the kid and the just the idea of the the raw id of a child <laughs> combined with reality rewriting abilities is a perfect chaotic mix. You're making it sound a little more Twilight Zone than it really comes across here. I mean, she's not wishing people to the cornfield. She could. Possibly. She could. That's the problem. She wishes herself onto a beanstalk in a storybook, but, you know, it's not quite that bad. It's not quite that bad. She's luckily easily distracted by, by toys and such in a way that actually keeps her within boundaries. Yeah. And the fact that she's got loving parents, one of whom is a powerful witch, does help. And yeah. her, mother's, her mother is not uh, beyond pointing out, you are a little witch. I am a much bigger witch, so you'd better do what you're told. Uh, undo that spell right now. <laughs> I'm actually a little disappointed that over the course of the show, we don't get to see more of uh, Darren's work. You know, we do. We do? Okay. We, we had to watch just a limited subset of this just because this is a huge series. There were over 30 episodes per season for oh, eight seasons. Oh, dang. This was not a... You know, 10-episode streaming series. This was not even a 20- to 22-episode sitcom like you might see now. This is 240 raw, uncut episodes. Yeah, so we we had to skip around a bit. And there were a lot of episodes. I don't want to denigrate them by calling them filler episodes, but they were just, how does something magical interfere with everyday life, usually for Darren? I do remember seeing a lot of those. This is one of those shows where it was another homesick from school kind of shows it was shown in reruns in the mid-morning so that's kind of how i tended to see it and they were at random but there were a lot of those that did have more about darren's work and in fact his boss becomes a bigger character in later seasons to the point where he's in the opening credits okay good and i remember as a little kid thinking wow Advertising looks like a cool business yeah i've never watched mad men but i have trouble thinking that it it's a more interesting depiction of the 60s uh, advertising world than Bewitched is. We do see him deal with bad clients, but I wanted to see, like, Darren at the display of the billboard in Times Square that he worked on or something like that. <laughs> and then, of course, magic would make something go wrong or the like or in that. But I want to see that kind of, like, bigger show of it. So maybe there's episodes I just need to need to watch. Yeah, we might need to dip into this some more. 
I want to see if the weirdness and the growing acclimation to living in a met with magical family actually has any effect on Darren's work. Because <laughs> if he was already like this creative, weird, well-known ad exec, but he starts having to deal with just this slight bit weirder than everyone else does. Does that filter down into his work and make his things weirder earlier on? Is Darren like creating things like Old Spice ads well before we see those sorts of crazy <laughs> things? Because that's just a Tuesday for him at this point. And he's just like, it seemed like the right fit. And they're like, oh my goodness, where do you think of these things? Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember anything like that. I think it was always fairly straightforward uh, as far as advertising was concerned. But uh, yeah, he's got a lot more to draw on in creativity, doesn't he? Yeah. I like that. Also, I would love to see an episode where a magic person hires Darren to advertise something in a magical world. Because I'm assuming someone's out there selling potions or some or like magical tools or something. There's there are these little bits of magical society that are not them just randomly teleporting themselves nice martinis from mortal realm. And so I'm assuming that there's some sort of commerce in magical world that needs some sort of advertising. And that could be an interesting, like, play the other, like, there's an entire other market you've got to suddenly deal with, but you're the only person who might be able to cross this. Yeah. That could be fun. And I'm, I, I wonder if there was an episode of that or if that's just an idea that they never tackled. I don't remember anything like that. Of course, I don't remember all of this. I've, I've seen scattered episodes many, many, many years ago. But but that would make some sense. I mean, what we see of the the magical world, it it's almost as if they inhabit some kind of Bertie Wooster, PG Woodhouse kind of world where they're off doing their goofy things and money is no object and none of them really have to have jobs, which I guess makes sense when you think about their powers. But yeah, there's got to be something behind that. They've got some kind of a, a society or civilization and they're not just inhabiting the nooks and crannies of the mortal world i would think so uh yeah they might have a need for advertising that's the thing this is a a show that has so much like it, it is full of questions but it actually has enough meat on its core concept that it kind of can just keep going on that with what it was doing yeah and the questions are interesting enough to answer or, and, or to ask and Posed by people who are looking at this going, wait, how does that work? Probably more than anyone intended, but still. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I say, it, it had been a long time since I saw this. It, I remembered it well enough that I knew it had an impact on me. And uh, um, with all the WandaVision stuff, I figured, yeah, we should watch this. I enjoyed it more than I expected to. When I wasn't cowering, I did as well. <laughs> I think we're kind of leading into our into our final things here. But yeah, it, it, I guess it, we are. There is something compelling about this, just because it did it did a lot of these concepts of introducing the magic into the the sitcom early, and there's a lot of later things that borrow from that concept. But this one is almost the start of that in some ways. I think so. It was very innovative at it for its time, and um, it's markedly different from other sitcoms of that started in the early '60s. And um, it really comes into its own right from the beginning. So, 
I guess this, uh, maybe we are uh, going into our final questions. It's a TV show. Binge or no binge? I'm going to say no binge. Like, individual episodes are great, but there's only so much I could take at a time. And I, it, it kind of really depends on if you're a person who can sit through sitcoms in the same way. I'm enjoying... I enjoy things like... We've, we've mentioned it here. I'm enjoying like WandaVision because it is way more mystery show than sitcom. And the sitcominess of actually like sitting through enough episodes of Bewitched weighs on me after too long, <laughs> which means I don't, I can't physically deal with that. Now, I, um, I'm going to say binge for this. Okay. And I wasn't necessarily expecting that going into uh, this rewatch, but I just find that these are fun. And I mean, I'm, but when I say binge, I'm not saying watch, you know, eight seasons times 33 episodes in one weekend, but watching an episode or two a night as kind of a light wind down sort of TV viewing, they, they're a lot of fun. You're 25 minutes a pop, neat little self-contained stories, engaging characters that's fun to spend time with. They are kind of popcorn-like in that sense. Yeah, so I would say binge this in that kind of, yeah, this is the show that I'm watching when I just want something enjoyable to uh, to distract me um, each evening. I might actually do better with this just not not sitting down to focus on it, but it might be excellent background binge for me. That and might That might help me with... The fact that I am not a sitcom fan in that sense. Yeah, and it's not like the stories are so detailed that if you look away for a minute, you're going to be totally lost. There are enough jokes thrown in, in addition to whatever kind of coherent story uh, there is, to uh, to just, I think, just make them fun. So I would say binge. With the usual warnings from anything that was produced you know, decades ago, you're going to see uh Attitudes and behaviors played for laughs that are not funny, things like that. So, yeah, just just be warned, uh, like you would for any vintage media. There are going to be differences. So, our um, uh, our next question: revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Well, like like we have sometimes, we actually have to acknowledge that they did attempt the first one. That is there true. There was we a do. revival series of Bewitched. In the form of Tabitha, a sitcom that followed the grown-up daughter and copied some of the format of magic inf- interfering with a normal world. And even brought in some of the old characters, if I recall correctly. Absolutely. The, doc- the magical doctor appears again. Um, the, like, a couple, I think the, uh, the uncle and the aunt might appear in, in specific episodes. So they this was a, a proper continuation, and they even actually apparently were able to play off the fact that the the mortal brother takes after their dad in terms of the not liking the magic stuff. Uh-huh. So they were able to play off some of that in that way, but that didn't it apparently only lasted like eleven episodes or something. Oh, okay. Didn't take off. Huh? It did not take off. So they tried that before. And there was a very a very odd attempt at a movie reboot at one point, which didn't follow the proper script and is barely considered. So we're going to ignore that. Yeah, I I understand. That was like some kind of a meta thing about making the TV show, but the act the actor playing Samantha was really a witch. And yeah, 
I, I never saw it. It seemed like a weird stretch. Maybe it's great. I don't know. So we've had one revival in the form of Tabitha. And we've had one attempt at a reboot, sort of, in the form of the movie. What, uh, what would interest you? Would a revival or a reboot interest you, or should we just let it rest in peace and, and watch the originals if we want? I'm split because rest in peace in this case would acknowledge very much how this did a lot of what it was trying to do very well. And I think that there's something to be said about not having to rehash this if it did did what it was setting out to do as well as it did. But there's also some potential in there, especially with modern changes and modern updates, or even if you move it, I don't think you have to set it in the now, but if you set it just back a few years, you could have some fun with a, with a reboot of this show playing off of some newer trends in that sense. Hmm. Why not set it now? What are you looking for specifically in a prior time period? I'm just wondering, in some ways, the tech aspect makes things a little harder because you can't get away with some of the things as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> if, that's if, true. if Gladys can roll back on the ring camera at their front door and watch the, <laughs> watch the house pop in and out of being decorated, she's got proof and we've got less of an episode. And that makes it difficult. So in some weird ways, I want to like roll bewitched back to like the aughts or the nineties and see what you can get out of that. Okay. I'm going to, uh, that, that is an interesting idea. Okay. I'm going to counter with revival set in the present day. And one of the conflicts are the traditional witches and the younger or more up-to-date witches who have who are interested in and have figured out how to integrate their magic with technology stop enchanting your instagram feed <laughs> you're causing problems like, okay you know, I, oh i know she's got a ring camera and uh, and we can fix that don't worry that's brilliant and terrifying and i kind of like it so we've got the tr traditionalist witches and the techno magical witches Oh, just the idea of a a Samantha and Darren couple where you've got the modern uh, demographics-based advertising Darren realizing that these outliers that keep popping up on the statistics are like the, the witches and warlocks that they keep on catching with their ads. That's why they're not landing in any of the standard categories. He's like, <laughs> all these outliers are people I know now. And meanwhile, you've got a Samantha who likes the tech stuff enough that she's just like trying out soldering in a little maker lab in the garage. Because has anyone actually tried to enchant the individual parts of a Roomba? And it works. It works too well. We've got an entire episode of a problem as the Roomba decides clean is not enough. You've got a whole thing here. And you could have fun with that by, by leaning into each of their, their, their kind of modes there. Meanwhile, there's another one who's reaching out through the internet and doing really, really horrible things to people's blockchain uh, <laughs> records. Oh, and, goodness. And really causing problems there. You know how much Bitcoin I can mine, <laughs> I, I can mine with a spell? It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, goodness. So 
I don't know. Uh, we have different approaches there, but it doesn't sound like either of us are saying rest in peace. Yeah. I, I, there's, I, there's too much here. There's too much here. I want to say rest in peace because it's such a good show. I want it to be able to not. There's every time we suggest reboot or revival, we're putting the original in some ways at risk because it will be in some ways connected to something. And the theoretical version we're putting out would have to go through the process of creation. And whether or not it comes out on the other side as as well as we're hoping in this means there's sometimes I want to say rest in peace just to let something stay as 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 well made as it is without that risk. Yeah, but that, that, I can I can uh, I get there's too much potential here still. Right. It reminds me of what we were thinking uh, or what we talked about for uh, the Thin Man movies. Yeah, we had a lot of great reboot ideas. I don't have a lot of confidence that they would actually be executed in a terrific way. Same thing here. A lot of great possibilities for revivals or reboots for Bewitched. I'm concerned that none of them would be executed exactly right. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be tried. Uh, it'd be interesting to see the right people with the right resources try to do that. There is something just a little Nick and Nora about Darren and Samantha. A little bit, yeah. I get that. Maybe that's what makes it uh, makes it as fun. Oh yeah. So this was fun. I'm I'm glad I got a chance to show this to you. I know that sitcoms are your kryptonite. <laughs> they are absolutely. But, uh, we but will have to come back to them occasionally. I I for all of that I did enjoy this one. So <laughs> good, thank you. Good. So I think that's going to be it for this episode, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century or beyond. Where can they find you online, Dad? Oh, you can find me. Uh, you can find me most places as by Matthew Porter. So you can go to bymatthewporter.com on Twitter as by Matthew Porter on Twitch at by Matthew Porter. And if uh, I get on any other social media, I'll probably grab that as well. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as item crafting on Twitch as item crafting live and on YouTube and most other places as item crafting in one form or another. And you can also find the podcast itself online at immproject.com. That's where you will find all of our uh, past episodes. You'll find links to our shop if you like strange and interesting t-shirts and coffee mugs and things. You'll find a link to our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there or on the contact page you'll find on the website. You'll also find a link there to our Patreon. Thank you very much if you're able to support us on Patreon. That helps us keep going as a podcast, and that's uh, terrific. And if you support us on Patreon, there are uh, bonus content uh, items available for you there. Most recently, to round out our 1978 uh, survey of comic book superhero adaptations, we watched the Japanese Spider-Man. So oh. that's the most recent uh, Patreon special you'll find on our uh, Patreon. And again, you can get to that Patreon from the link at immproject.com. You can also reach the podcast on Twitter at immpcast. You, you thought Highlander was our episode about proper sword technique. You you need to go listen to the Spider-Man <laughs> one if you can. That one has the best sword technique known to man. It does. It's consistent. It always works. Always works. <laughs> so thanks very much uh, for, for listening. Uh, thanks very much uh, for supporting if you can. And we uh, hope you'll be back uh, with us next time. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>